All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Case Kenny. Case is an entrepreneur, mindfulness expert, host and founder of the top 25 Apple podcast, New Mindset, Who This? Beloved by some of today's biggest celebrities, including Hayley Bieber, Sophia Bush, and Lucy Hale, and featured on Good Morning America. You might recognize him from his viral coffee cap and post-it quotes on Instagram, which have been shared by millions and featured by Complex, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, and many more. Created in 2018, Kenny's podcast, New Mindset, Who This?, features this short, no-bullshit take on all things mindfulness in a relatable way, empowering people to be happier, healthier, and live more fulfilling lives by changing their mindsets in all areas of their life, spanning from self-worth and empowerment to dating, relationships, career advice, and much more. The podcast has received over 5,000 five-star reviews and accolades such as Spotify Editor's Choice, iHeartRadio, Top 10 Health, Deezer, and Stitcher Radio Editor's Choice, and others and has held a position as a top 25 podcast on both the Apple Podcasts and Spotify charts for the past three years. As part of the podcast, Kenny also produces special Music X Mindfulness, episodes where he collaborates with top artists including DJs, including Martin Garrix, Griffin, Cheat Codes, Frank Walker and Sam Felt to bring mindfulness to life in an energising and unique way for listeners. Kenny is also the creator of the best-selling mindfulness journals, the New Mindset Journal, and bothered and single is your superpower, and digital journals including closure and clarity. He's also the creator of the popular dance music ex mindfulness show Zen Disco. Listen to New Mindset Who This on all streaming platforms or visit newmindsetwhothis.com for more. For the latest news and information, follow Case Kenny on Instagram at, at case.kenny. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute joy to have somebody whose podcast I followed for so long. But for people who maybe don't recognise the name, and there'll be a few, could you give a quick introduction and who you are and why you're so well known? Uh, yeah, of course. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate you listening to the pod. It means a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a podcaster in the, in the US. I host a podcast called New Mindset Who Dis? Uh, and I'm an author as well. I've written uh, a couple books and created a couple of, of mindfulness journals. Um, and that's basically who I am by way of title. I'd say by way of human, I'm just the guy who's very, very passionate about the concept of mindfulness and using my talents and skills to bring that to life, both for myself and the people around me. I always say that, you know, I am a hardwired optimist. I've always found a way to uh, live uh you know, with a lot of hope and optimism and positivity. And I've always found it easy for me to kind of dissect the ups and downs of life and to and to look at it in a, in a simple way. And I started this podcast as a means to help myself affirm those things. And then it turns out that the way that I look at life helps other people. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, doing the podcast ever since for about four years. And I've just kept pulling on that string of being passionate about mindfulness um, sharing my ideas with the world on social media and books and writing and the podcast. And it just helps other people. So, you know, I'm privileged to be able to live my dream and uh, help other people in the process. So it really is a gift to be able to do all of these things, but really at the core of what I do and who I am, it's this concept of mindfulness, living mindfully, living with self-awareness and compassion for oneself. A fantastic answer. I mean, you've built a juggernaut of a you know a podcast. You're helping so many people. There's thousands of positive comments, etc. But what was the initial cause to get the mindset? Because I read somewhere that you attended a Montessori style play um, 
school when you were younger. You have a creative mother and father and a hardworking dad who, who became the breadwinner to support them when they were doing their uh, qualifications. Do you think that helped your own personal transformation, your own sort of learning journey? You got the best of both worlds. I'm surprised you know that you must have I must have said that on an interview or something you listened to or maybe in one of my podcasts. But that's a yeah, that's a small anecdote about my life. But, you know, I, I like that you bring it up because I think so. I think so. I think it really helped me just lean into my creative side. And, you know, I don't consider myself a you know successful person. I think I, I am privileged and I and I have a, a talent and I make the most of it. But I do think my ability to lean into my creative side, which was certainly nurtured during childhood. I think that plays a, a big role in what I've been able to do because, you know, it, by way of title, it's kind of tough to describe what I do. I joke that I share my feelings for a living, which is pretty accurate because that's what I do on the podcast. It's what I do on social media. It's what I do with my journals and my books. But that is a very creative endeavor, right? And I think the way that I was raised was always to lean into the things that made me curious, the things that I, I could do with my, my hands and eyes and feet and, and the things that I could touch and feel and, you know, the tangible elements of life. And I think learning to do that um, now as a 34 year old has come full circle. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's so much more to life than, um, you know, traditional um, employment, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But I learned through childhood and through massive trial and error and just, you know, trying and trying and trying that, you know, leaning into my creative side, leading into feeling motivated and inspired by the world around me and things like emotions and vulnerabilities um, certainly has helped me immensely. And um, I lean into it. It's a weird, I live a weird life. I'm, I, I write all day, every day, pretty much. I sit down and I record my feelings and um, you know, there's a lot of business elements that go into it, certainly. But intrinsically, what I do is this very uh, creative thing that um, I think was definitely nurtured uh, when I was younger. Uh, I mean, it's certainly something that comes across is how we're shaped by the you know perspectives that we're, we inhabit when we're younger. You know, like films, media, family, like how we're taught at school, etc. Because you've said the world will accept how we see ourselves, the expectations we expect and accept about ourselves will come back to us. Do you think that's a problem is that a lot of things are negative about the way, you know, the media, about how people are raised, that men can't be emotional, we can't talk about our feelings and things like that. And, you know, your mission is to share the word of, like, perspiration, perspectives that inspire. You're trying to break that down. Do you think, you know, is is that a, a good way to sort of summarize it? Is that we're shaped by the world and you're trying to break down that bullshit of, you know, a man has to be tough, can't speak to anybody outside, has to solve all their own problems, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's always going to be conditioning and that's conditioning that's passed generation to generation. What to say it's right, to say it's wrong, I don't know. So there's, there's always going to be conditioning that comes from, from family. But I think to answer your question, I think we're massively conditioned in the present by social media. And I'm not one to belabor social media because I love social media. I think it is a gift and I think it is amazing. But there's a dark side. And namely, it's like to your point, it's like we are just hit over the head with, you know, neg negative stories that other people share we're hit on the head with expectations based on gender and socioeconomic condition and, you know, business and all those kinds of things. We're hit over the head with expectations. And it's no wonder that we consume so much social media and then we pop out the other side and we back those assumptions, both about ourselves and the world around us. We start to be like, well, yeah, all I hear on social media is how men are dishonest and are our pigs. All you hear on social media are women are crazy and this and that or, you know, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And, you know, so if you're, if you're not making 500K a year, you're a failure. So there's a lot of input that I think if left unchecked, then yeah, to answer your question, it very much imposes on our view of ourself. And that's why I'm passionate about mindfulness, because all mindfulness is is self-awareness. And all self-awareness is is coming back to yourself and asking yourself why. So that when we're faced with, you know, an assumption about the world around us that everyone cheats or no one is serious about relationships or you have to make a lot of money to be happy, we can question that. We don't let that feeling in. We don't assume that identity without thoroughly questioning it. 
Because if we don't, then yeah, we're, we're kind of in trouble. We're definitely going to gravitate towards a negative conditioned view of the world. But everyone can practice mindfulness. Everyone can take a step back and, you know, further their self-awareness. And I think um, that's the greatest gift we have. And I think if we just learn to question that, um, I think we're going to start to come up with opinions of ourselves and the world around us that are much more positive and much more redeeming and most importantly are coming from a place of truth that is our own rather than a borrowed truth from someone else, a stranger even. I mean, you have this fantastic way of giving direct, honest, and, you know, every time you listen to the podcast, it feels like you're just talking to you, like when you're the listener and going, wow, that inspires me, it motivates me, you know, it's life-changing a lot of the time. But how do we get people to stop this kind of voyage of consumerism and actually say, okay, I'm not just going to listen and collect information, podcasts, etc., but I'm actually going to step up and do stuff you know, overcome the fear of making that first change in life? Because usually that's the thing most people are terrified that, you know, that first step towards the gym or that first step towards coming out of the bad relationship or something. How do you encourage people to take action? Yeah, well, I think it's very circumstantial to what area of life we're talking about. But ultimately, we have to give ourselves a catalyst to change. And <laughs> frankly, I think about myself and I think the, the biggest thing that motivates me is fear fear of regret specifically. I think my entire journey journey into the self-development space was motivated by me sitting down and being like, oh my gosh, I don't want to regret my life. I don't want to regret my 20s, my 30s, the best years of my life. I don't want to regret them in the sense that I don't want to look back and realize that I did all these things because I thought I wanted to do them. They weren't my wants. They were other people's. I don't want to look back and realize I dated the wrong people simply because I was told that I needed to be in a relationship. I don't want to look back and realize that I worked my tail off at a job simply because I was told that's what I'm supposed to do. So I think we need to we need to find a way to like trigger ourselves. Honestly, for me, fear of regret is like the ultimate motivator for me. I think it could be a very positive fear for other people. It might be different. So I think we need to find that thing that like spooks us in a way and lean into it in a compassionate way. You know, we're not acting from fear, we're motivating from fear. And I think good things can come from that, namely challenging those things, challenging conditioning, challenging the things we're told to want and to be, and leaning into the ultimate word, which is why, W-H-Y. I think if we could find a way to make that our lifestyle, then that is naturally going to lead us into a direction where we're taking action where, you know, it's like you feel anxious. You don't accept it and be like, well, it's just because I'm an anxious person. I am an anxious person. No, you say, why am I feeling this way? And you challenge it, why, 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 until you get to some point of clarity that you act on or in a relationship. Why am I continuing to date the same people? You don't just say, well, it's because I had bad choice in relationships. You, you break it down until you reach a point where you're like, this is ridiculous. I don't need to continue these things. So I think you need to get to a point and it's personal where you're motivated to ask yourself why. For me, it's fear of regret. For other people, it could very well be fear of regret because I think that's universal. But ultimately, I think it's up to each of us to find that thing that triggers us in a compassionate way and snaps us out of the gray of life. You know, I didn't enter this space until really I was like 28. So it could take a long time. But once you find that thing where it fires you up, I think it could become a, a force for good in your life. You just need to find that thing. And is that the sort of concept of radical honesty? It's like actually looking at what's happening in our lives because, you know, we get this thing of 2.4 children. You should be married by the time you're 30. You should have two kids. You should have a four-seater car. You should be you know, X, Y, Z, and if you're not, you're a failure. You know, if you're not married by your 30, if you don't have kids by the time you're 35, it's, it's a problem a lot of men deal with. Do you think that we're trying to live up to societal dreams, family dreams, um, friend pressure, keep up with the Joneses, etc.? Is that the sort of problems you see with a lot of people who come and ask for advice? Always, always, always. It's It's like, it's a very tough space because, you know, to my point earlier, these are generational expectations passed down to us. It doesn't make our parents, our parents, parents, bad people. They're simply passing down what they were told and their expectations, which, yeah, 30 years ago, whenever, yeah, you're, you know, the standard, the average was married at a young age, buy a house because you could, all these things. But we need to realize, you know, we just need to challenge that. Not that they're wrong, just that we're in different times and different times are good because new could be very good. 
But we have to realize that financially, economically, the world is different. You know, all access to social media, universal access to more knowledge has led us to understand that you could be patient and wait for a partner that is truly right for you rather than rushing into something because, you know, you live in a small town and that's all that's available, things like that. So I just think we need to challenge that expectation. You know, it's we're not falling behind when we don't fall into that expectation at all. And it's easy to think that like I absolutely get it. I've I've felt that way. But the gift we can give ourselves is challenging it and putting a new lens onto it, namely a lens that is current in time and that takes into account what is true to you. Like it's a crazy thing that we're expected to know our life's purpose, our partnership and our you know final place of living when we're in our 20s. Like I don't know if it's different times or what, but like we I think about myself. I didn't know who I was until I was 30. Absolutely. I was just hopping around, living good life, but I didn't know who I was, what I stood for until I was 30. And I I venture to say a lot of people feel the same way. To make huge permanent life decisions or to expect yourself to be capable of making them when you're young just isn't fair to us. We need to practice more patience for ourselves, more compassion. And again, it all comes from asking yourself why to realize that, you know, the, the things you've been told, they're helpful. Absolutely. But is it true to you? Maybe yes, maybe no, but we have to at least put ourselves in that position to challenge it. And then I think we're going to find a path that is right for us. Yeah, it's terrifying to think we say to school kids, you're 18, 19, 20, you know, make a decision that's going to affect the rest of your life. Decide what you want to do for the rest of your life now, and you're not allowed to change it without getting in more serious debt. You know, you're already going to be in hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt in some cases. You know, go make a decision. And like you're saying, we don't know what who we are till we're about thirty odd. You don't, you haven't lived, you haven't experienced, you haven't kind of learned anything about yourself. And um, how do we start accepting and making that promise to ourselves? Because I interviewed Chris Powell, the body transformation specialist, and he was talking about how a lot of times people have extra weight on themselves because it's all it's almost like it's the extra broken promises that they've given themselves. And a lot of times our brain can't decide between an out loud promise and one that we give to ourselves. How do we lose that? You know, how do we start thinking, okay, we can change, we can love ourselves, we can accept that we need to, we can get more from life, that you know, that we can change the stem. Do you have like mantras? Is this where journaling came in initially for you? Uh, yeah, I'd say journaling is a great, great, great way to address this. I think ultimately, though, it's like, you know, to make what you're describing, you know, new, compassionate, more personal, personal decisions for yourself. You have to find a way to get the most perspective from life, right? The most perspective from relationships you've had, job experience you've had, the things you've seen and heard and read. How do you get more out of it? Well, I, I think it comes down to a willingness to start over. I think a lot of the times the reason that we pigeonhole ourselves and we're, we're, we confine ourselves to timelines and expectations is because we think that starting over, that is changing our minds, means we're starting over from zero, meaning that we, we messed up so bad that we need to throw in the towel and start over completely. Whereas I've done episodes and I write a lot about the idea of starting over. Starting over is the best way to arrive at truths for yourself. And I always say that, you know, starting over, the concept of starting over, it's it's not about what you're leaving behind. It's about what you're bringing with you. And if we approach life in that way, I think we're, we're a willingness to start over. That, I'm talking simply about a willingness to start a new relationship, date someone else, start a new job, start a different job, whatever it may be. That willingness is naturally going to lead us in the direction of things that are true to us. But we have to lose this resistance to the concept of starting over, which is literally the concept of changing our mind. Changing our mind is the greatest gift ever. It truly is. And I think I think about the most happy, most successful people that I know, the most fulfilled people I know, they are people who have changed their minds a lot. And it's not a reflection of them not knowing what they're doing. It's a reflection of them embracing what they've been giving, embracing the perspective they have to fuel future decisions. So I, I think we need to embrace the idea of starting over, embrace the idea of changing our mind. Changing our mind is an indication that you're leveling up each time. Boop, 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 all the way up. It's not a reflection of going down. It's not a reflection of failure. It's a reflection of you finally having the perspective you need 
to act as a catalyst for something that is better and more suited for you as opposed to borrowing what you thought was for you. So I'm all in on that concept of starting over, changing your mind. It's a great, great thing. Whereas I think we're, we're raised to think it's not. Um, and I think flipping that script can be very helpful for us. That's a great way to look at it because I mean, a lot of people think they're not complete unless they're in a relationship. They're not complete unless, you know, like what, uh, they're female and they've given, they've had kids or they're ma- uh, male and they're, they're the breadwinner and they can't, it, you know, and modern society has a lot of different options and a lot of different ways to live your life now. And I think a lot of people struggle. You know, we don't have these open, uh, a lot of wars anymore. We don't have a lot of challenges like maybe our grandfathers did have where they needed to settle down at a younger age and things like that. How, you know, we talk to ourselves sometimes in a way that we would not accept from anybody else, friends, family, etc. How do you even start to love yourself? Because I love that about your podcast. It's very accepting. And you, you know, there's a few times I've been close to tears listening to your podcast going, whoa, that really hit home. You know, like it was like you were speaking to the part of me that really needed it. How do we even start kind of, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done before. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in your life. You can change. But to actually start saying the most important relationship is the one with yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I, I think it comes down to the way, like what we want out of life. So it's like I talk a lot about happiness, for instance. What, what does that mean? What is happiness? I think it could take a lifetime to truly figure that out. And so if we're approaching life where we're like, I just want to be happy, or maybe your goal is I want to be successful. It's like we're going to struggle with that. We're going to struggle with loving ourselves because inevitably you're not going to be happy for times, maybe extended periods of time you're not going to be successful. It's up and down, up and down. That's life. So when we put pressure on ourselves to be a certain way, to achieve achieve a certain ambiguous outcome like happiness, we're putting ourselves in a position to be disappointed. And if we're not super strong and rooted in our self-love, it's going to compound and it's going to become potentially ugly. So I really encourage us to reassess what our personal mission statement is in life doesn't have to be poetry. You know, it doesn't have to be something beautiful. Like for me, I changed my mission statement from the usual, which most people say, I just want to be happy, which I think is great. But I changed it from that to, I just want to be proud of myself. And that changed a lot for me because again, what is happiness? I don't really know. Happiness is up and down. Happiness is subject to the randomness of life, but being proud of myself. I can't really think of a scenario where I don't have somewhat full control over that. I always have control over how I react to life. I always have control over how many emails I send a day. I always have control over what I create, what I do, the people I show up for. I have control over that amidst the things I don't have control over, namely life, randomness, bad luck, bad people. So I think coming back to a more personal verb defined mission statement, I want to be proud of myself, I think is the ultimate first step to loving yourself. And I also talk a lot about the words we use to describe ourselves. To my point, we love adjectives, right? I want to be happy, successful, fulfilled, confident. Great. I think those are great goals. But again, when you're not those things as humans, we beat ourselves up. So I encourage people, and I have a whole like journal lesson on this. I encourage people to replace adjectives with verbs. Instead of saying, I want to be a certain way, or I am a certain type of person, you say, I am the kind of person who, and then you put verbs in there instead verbs that you can control, right? Instead of saying, I want to be successful or I am a successful person in your inner monologue, you say, no, I am the kind of person who shows up, who does what's expected of me, who shows up early to work, who does whatever you insert the verbs there. And I think when you start to do that and you hold yourself accountable there, you're naturally going to be like, man, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of myself. I might not have the outcome I want, but I'm doing the verbs I said I want to do. I'm not beholden to some ambiguous adjective that when I'm not that thing, I'm sad. Instead, I'm tying, you know, uh, my happiness to the verbs in my life, things that I can control. So very long winded way of saying, I think to be, you know, in love with yourself, to practice self love, it comes down to the words we use to describe ourselves, the mission statement that we set for ourselves, and then holding ourselves accountable there. And I think you do that for a year, you're going to be proud of yourself because you're going to realize all the verbs you're doing. And confidence, success, fulfillment, relationships, 
comes exclusively from the things you do, not the things that are given to you, not the randomness of life, it's the things you do. So come back to the verbs instead of the adjectives. And I think it's going to give you a big leg up towards actually practicing some form of self-love. I love it. I mean, that's so powerful because you get so many people who they're only, it's only if they're achieving things. It's only if they've won first place or they've done, you know, they've been given such and such a grant rather than who they are as a person or what they want from life. And that's, that's a brilliant way to look at it. I really wish I had your podcast when I was younger because I always looked at, you know, the more successful brother thinking, well, people are judging me against him rather than who I was as a person. So how do we start self-evaluating ourselves? You know, how do we identify the areas we need to change? Um, how would you go about kind of looking, helping somebody look at the areas of their life that they wanted to fix or that they needed to tackle first? Yeah, well, I think there, I'll just give the simple answer. I think journaling is immensely helpful. I think therapy is immensely helpful. I think when we're in life and we're feeling stuck or we feel like we don't know what we need to do or we don't know who we are or things like that, it's sometimes very difficult to break free of that because we're so close to it, right? We know the ins and outs of everything about life. We know every single time we tripped up and fell. And I think it could become a, a very constrictive uh, headspace. So I think the key is to get out of that. And sometimes what all you need is a prompt, so, someone like myself on a podcast, maybe, or a journal or a therapist. Um, we have to just find a way to shock the system with the right question. I mean, I think changing your life really comes down to the questions you ask yourself, because ultimately we're looking for some kind of answer in life, right? We're looking for some kind of clarity. Well, sometimes we, we, we forget the, the fundamental law of the universe, which is uh, at least in my own experience, the only way to find an answer is to ask a question. If we're not asking questions, we'll never get there. And some people are very equipped. I think myself, I'm wired to ask myself a lot of questions and challenge myself. Other people, not so much. And that's fine. And that's why journaling is a great resource. That's why, of course, therapy and trained professionals are a great resource. But I think ultimately it's it's coming back to that. What questions can I ask myself? That's a great you know, point to come to, or broadly speaking, if nothing were to change right now, is this area of my life good enough for me? Oh, well, maybe that's something to think about, but you have to, you have to ask yourself questions, which is what I do for a living. I, I give people questions <laughs> to ask themselves. I don't know all the answers, but I am pretty good at coming up with questions. So I think that's the best first thing you could do for yourself. Because you've got this insane ability to like just leave a question lying there, you know. After like you know, you discuss a podcast, you discuss how it fits into life, and you give your own sort of personal examples. Then you you leave a question that lets us kind of go, okay, and you think about it, and then you're because you know I've seen myself like listening to one of your episodes, and I go way beyond surface level. I kind of you know use your question of why, and just keep asking myself why, but why? Why am I feeling that? How? But why is that that way? Why is that something I accept in life? And I'm like, whoa! Before you know it, you've gone into this deep level. Once we start identifying this and making the changes, how do you start setting your goals? And how do you use the concept of like power moves? Because I love these kind of you know these ways of you identify how to make changes and how we can do these kind of particular changes in our lives. But how do we identify the goal and how do we start using like power moves and other concepts to start the change? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think it depends on every area of life. But ultimately, I think if you're doing all the things we're talking about now, that is you're challenging yourself, you're questioning, you're challenging conditioning, you're, you're challenging the, the inputs that you're getting from parents and friends and social media, and you're aligning your goal for yourself with some verbs, namely being proud of yourself, I think you're you're going to start to make the moves because you're going to fire yourself up. It's like, I think traditionally like self-development is kind of like, don't get me wrong. There is no wrong way to approach self-development. There is no wrong way that any thought leader in the self-development space approaches this. But I've always, I've never really gotten a lot of value from the, the type of self-development that is very soft right? That is like, hey, it's okay. Like, take it easy. Like, I think there's a time and space for that. But like, once you've started to practice some of these things, I think a very effective type of self-development is to get fired up, is to say, I want to be proud of myself. I want to be proud of myself. 
and to, to be literally fired up about it so that the next time you're faced with a decision where you have the opportunity to make a, a power move, let's say you have the opportunity to speak up in a meeting where you are so beyond nervous. If you are grounded in a fired up type of self-development, that is, you are fired up to be proud of yourself in that moment where you're contemplating speaking up or not, you're doing the hamster turn wheel in your head and you're like, what if, what if, what if that fiery side of you is going to be like, heck no, if I don't speak up, I'm not going to be proud of myself. I have to be proud of myself. That is, I don't care about the outcome. I have to be proud of myself in this moment for the thing that I can control, the verb that I can control, which is speaking up. I think it's naturally going to lead you to make those power moves, but you have to find a way to fire yourself up. I respond well to like a little bit of tough talk to myself. Not everyone does. So put it in language that makes sense for you. But ultimately, I think grounding yourself in, in wanting to be proud of yourself, I think is the ultimate tool we have because we know when we're proud of ourselves or not. We really do. We know when we're letting ourselves down. I think, you know, sometimes we can delude ourselves and sometimes we can overthink. But ultimately, you know, when we're truest to ourselves, we know when we're not doing something that we want to do. We're not being true to ourselves. And I think if we could tap into that. You're going to start making those moves because you're so compelled to. You're fired up to. Not doing it will make you feel so much worse than doing it and receiving a bad outcome. So I just we have to find a way to fire ourselves up. Um, I think that's personal to everyone. But I think, again, coming back to this idea of being proud of yourself, it's going to break down from being this ethereal concept to be very being very practical. I have to walk up to this person and introduce myself. I have to ask for what I want. I have to speak up on a second date, whatever it may be. So I think that's the ultimate way. We just have to find a way to, to tap into that like inner inner fire in ourselves. Because uh, I've, I've used the concept myself. I've been thinking like, okay, I'm going to, Usually, like at the time, I didn't know what I called it, but you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a power. I'm going to speak up here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to break out my my normal programming, and it suddenly opens up this whole new avenue of things. And I think, what if I hadn't done that at that point? How my life would be different now? And I think that's like you're saying. It's like it's it's finding that thing that lets you override societal bullshit and actually lets you tap into like your power move to tap into your self-love to actually say no i i can get more i deserve more out of life but a problem that arises is when we're learning these skills you know and doing these new things imposter syndrome comes in I and mean, i still get imposter syndrome now in the podcast for example 150 odd episodes recorded and i'm still doubting myself thinking who am i to ask these questions you know have you found a way of almost like acting as if or like acting this way until you find that you actually are confident or you are self-loving or, you know, how do you go about living life to high value to ourselves, but accepting that we, you know, we are worthy of the changes we're making? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to imposter syndrome, like I still feel imposter syndrome and I've written I've done 400 episodes and I've written all these books and I have all this, you know, success on paper. So, I mean, I think it's a universal thing. Um, I think anyone who says they don't feel imposter syndrome, um, they're lying <laughs> or they're deluding themselves, which might be even worse. Um, mm -hmm. I think imposter syndrome comes from a self-aware place, which is good. So I think we need to kind of take that off the table. And, you know, it's like, I talk a lot about like letting yourself be seen in life. That is, you know, going for what you want, trying new things, being a beginner, looking stupid, all these things. And, you know, it's like, there's always going to be naysayer. There's always going to be people who make you doubt yourself. You're always going to make yourself doubt yourself. Like, I don't think there's any blueprint for any of it. But all I do know is that imposter syndrome, you know, it usually comes from a place of fear of judgment. Of course, I'm going to be found out. I'm not, I'm not legit. I'm not the real deal. You know, people are going to find out, find out that I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing. And I always just come back to the point, as cheesy as a thing as it is to say, and I mentioned this in the podcast the other day, that you know, anyone who tries, it, it's a good thing. Anyone who clowns on someone who is trying, they're a, they're an absolute loser. <laughs> like I don't like to be mean or label people, but if someone clowns on someone who's trying something for the first time, if someone clowns on you because you know you're doing something that makes you look different or look like a beginner, they are a loser for judging you. And I think it's like we need to flip the script. Self-development is about flipping the script. We need to flip the script from when someone judges us, we judge ourselves. From when someone from that to when someone judges us, we judge them. 
we judge them for being a loser for judging us. Like it, we live in a, in a time and space where being seen is rewarded. I'm referring to social media. I'm referring to tapping into, you know, your, your passions and your hobbies and your, and your skills. Like anyone who clowns on you, they deserve the judgment. And I just like, it's not a, a very, you know, we're not, it's not an earth breaking, earth shattering statement, but flipping the script saying, if someone judges me, and I'm being true to myself, I'm being kind, compassionate, and you know the things I'm doing or saying are not hurting anyone, and someone judges me, someone throws that in my face, they are the ones who deserve the judgment. And I think, and again, that this is like a fiery side of self-development. I think that uh, headspace is healthy. I think it's very good because it gives you that armor to push yourself out to be seen. And I, I've never seen a bad thing come from allowing yourself to be fully seen, that is, Speaking up, asking for what you want, acting on the things that you want, doing the things that are make you curious. I've never seen a downside to that. And if you let imposter syndrome stop you, um, that's because you're not challenging it. And all you need to do to challenge it is say, if someone, if my worst case scenario were to come true and someone were to be like, yo, man, your podcast is, is whack. All you have to do is say, that is a ridiculous statement coming from an absolute loser, someone who would clown on someone else who is trying something compassionate and kind and enthusiastically, they are the ones who deserve to be judged. So that's just the way I look at things. And, you know, it took me a long time to get to this place, being a guy sharing his feelings on the internet. Um, you know, I, I was in my head very, very much about it. But finally, I just embraced it. I was like, if my worst case scenario were to come true, if imposter syndrome were to be proven, and they're like, Case doesn't know what he's talking about. Case is a loser. I would turn that judgment on them. Because I think objectively, the great thing about the time and space we're in with social media is that <laughs> objectively trying is cool. And I'll just end with that sentence. <laughs> uh, I, it's like listening to the podcast. Every time I listen, I'm like, whoa. You know, it's like it's like you're tackling some sort of inner demon I've got, you know, like let go of almost um, how to be truly seen, how to give yourself a second chance. You know, like it's all the crap the guy's dealing with. It's like, oh, I can't change. I had um, David Hayes on. He was saying how a lot of criminals, when they come out of jail, they always feel like the only thing they can do is go and commit more burglaries and things like that because nobody will see them as a person outside of it. You know, they don't kind of focus them into mindfulness and self-development and making a better life for themselves the second go around. You know, they kind of, we we just assume that people, it's just like, nope, that's them. They can't change it. You know, it's like you've got podcasts on how to break toxic cycles and things like that. There's so much good stuff in the podcast. It's a fantastic resource for any guy listening to check out. But you also have a number of Spotify playlists where you combine music with life-changing advice. What's the power of music? Because you seem very creative, very musical. How do you use music and how could we use music to help ourselves in this journey? Yeah, I mean, I think I think anyone can realize the power of music. I mean, music objectively makes you happy or sad or peaceful, whatever it is, depending on what you're listening to. I don't think there would be any objection that music has an emotional influence on our lives. And for me, I just want to listen to the right music. I just feel vulnerable and happy or aware or whatever it may be. Choose the adjective that I'm looking for. But I've always found that to be true. I don't think I've ever written anything of merit without listening to music. And for me, the, my music of choice is like, uh, generally speaking, electronic music, dance music, some type of uh, upbeat, melodic, progressive type sound. Um, you know, there's something there's something to the repetitive nature of dance music that just puts me in this like energetic Zen stage. And I've realized that for a long time. And so over the past couple of years, I've been trying to find ways to bring my passion for mindfulness into the realm of music because I love it so much. And yeah, I've started to do things with music and mindfulness, mixing together DJ sets of dance music with my own audio. I've, I've teamed up with different DJs and um, I did one with Martin Garrix recently where he'll play his tunes and I'll come in over the top in interludes and it'll be just nicely timed. And, you know, just it adds a little extra for you. If the music is the emotion, then my audio is the perspective and you have this great mix of emotion and perspective and you feel great. Um, so yeah, I just think, you know, music is this, this is biological, primitive, amazing thing in our lives that if we give ourselves to it, it could take us to amazing places. And 
I like combining that power with little perspectives and questions that I encourage people to ask. And uh, people seem to really enjoy those types of things. And it's, again, to the whole conversation about creativity, it's a way for me to flex my creativity. And I love it. So um, I'm all in on the power of music and mindfulness. And uh, I've got some uh, cool things coming soon. But yeah, I I just love the interplay there. It just makes sense. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. It's fantastically done. I mean, I remember listening and it was just kind of zoning out to the music and then it was like the prompt was coming in at the right place and I was like, this is brilliant. This is, I mean, this is what a lot of youngsters should be asked to listen to, to kind of start thinking about their feelings as they're growing and developing and saying how they can change themselves. How can, you know, I mean, for people who maybe don't know about mindfulness and how it can benefit us, could you talk a little bit about like the concept of it and how can we find the unbothered mindset that you've talked about before? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, for a long time, I used to think, I was like, oh my gosh, mindfulness? Well, like, well, what is that? Like, is that some meditation? Is that some Zen Buddhist term? It's like mindfulness is the most practical thing in the world. And it requires no advanced degree. You don't have to go to Southeast Asia. You don't have to go on a silent retreat. You don't need any crystals. Like, it's the most practical thing in the world. And I break it down as, as follows. All mindfulness is, is self-awareness. That's kind of in the word, right? To be mindful is to be aware. So, Let's break it down. Mindfulness is self-awareness. But what does self-awareness mean? Because I could be aware that I have a drinking problem, but that doesn't mean I can address the why behind it. So we've got to go further than awareness. So uh, self-awareness in the context of mindfulness is honesty. Now we're getting somewhere. Now you can say, okay, I, I, I understand this and I understand maybe a little bit more of the catalyst behind it, the conditioning behind it. But then again, also, there's a difference between being honest with yourself on a great sunny day, you're with your friends, and a rainy Tuesday, and you're sad and anxious in your apartment. So we have to break it down further a little bit more. So, you know, um, you know, self-awareness is honesty. Honesty is the practice of asking yourself why. So our whole conversation here. So when I think of my, uh, mindfulness, all mindfulness is, is asking yourself why and answering it as often as possible. It's the most practical thing. It doesn't require any preparation. It could be done at a moment's notice. It could be done when you're aligned at Starbucks. It's the, it's the most practical thing uh, in the world. It's literally just challenging yourself and anything around you. Why do I feel this way? Why am I going on a second date? Why am I frustrated with this? Why am I doing this? Whatever it may be. All that is mindfulness because that is coming from a place of honesty, which is coming from a place of observation and awareness, which is mindfulness. So that, that's all I think about it. And it's the greatest superpower that we have. And to the whole conversation here, it leads you in all kinds of great, amazing ways, challenging conditioning, coming up with new personal mission statements, um, all these kinds of things. But I like to break it down that way because I feel like I was pretty similar to a lot of people in the past, namely thinking that mindfulness is this esoteric energy thing in life. But the reality is it's the most practical, you know, logical thing you could do in life. I think there's probably different types of mindfulness as well. I think there's like a there's very energy driven mindfulness, right? The idea of like karma and energy and goodness. Um, I think there's a space for that. The, the type of mindfulness that I um, resonate with is logic, logical mindfulness. That is mindfulness that's based on observation. I can see this in my life. Therefore, I can believe this. I have this experience. Therefore, I know this to be true, right? It takes the guesswork out of life, but it requires you to be radically honest, to actually look at your life even in the hard to look places and look at it, look at the observations, look at your experiences, question it with why, and then come up with the, what I hope would be compassionate conclusions. Uh, But it's all based on, on awareness. I can see this. I've experienced this. This isn't guesswork. 
And therefore, I can believe this. That is the type of mindfulness that I resonate with that I think is really powerful. And it all comes back to that word, why? I love it. I mean, it's that's why I found like your use of journaling great because so many people kind of just think their way through life and then it's like, they go back to their usual programming. You know, they don't, they maybe have like a kind of, oh, that really hit home and I need to do that more. And then, you know, they'll go about their day and they'll have forgotten it by the end of it. But I love the way that you use the journals to kind of like go deeper into the surface level changes and actually start looking into things and saying, why? How can we fix this? How can we change? So how do we use these journals? You know, what was the the reasoning behind creating this amazing line of journals? Like, how do we use them to review, reset, recalibrate our life and actually start focusing on who we want to be? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's immense value in the immediacy of journaling, for sure. You know, I created all these journals because I just have what I think are decent questions and perspectives that can help people. That if you sit down in a moment, you might have a breakthrough. Um, But I also think, like, again, to the point here, I think the value of journaling is what you take with you from journaling. That is, when you're journaling, you're, you're asking yourself questions. You're challenging yourself and you're forcing yourself to look at the things in life that maybe you glance past and you're forcing yourself to dig into them, to challenge them, to come up with new assumptions based on them. I think the more you journal, the more value you get out of life when you're not journaling. That is, you develop a muscle from journaling, that is a muscle of why, and you take it out into the real world so that you're not only getting benefit from self-awareness when you're journaling, but also when you're out crossing the street or driving to work or whatever it may be. So that, I think, is the real benefit of journaling, and that's why I'm so passionate about it. It's like, yeah, I can create a journal, and I love it, and I'm so gift, you know, privileged to have people uh, buy them. Um, but I think the real value is when people complete them and do them, and then they realize, oh, wow, like, I am now a journaler. I'm living with a journaler's mindset towards life, not just when I'm journaling, but when I'm living life. And that's what I think the real value is. So that's why I'll you know, continue to <laughs> release journals as often as I can to give people more examples of how to take it out into life and live it as a mindset completely, not just when they're you know, actually sitting down and journaling. Because I love that way that you're sort of changing the, the, the mind program and how we look at life, how we analyze life, rather than just saying, you know, buy my shit and do that. You know, you're actually teaching people how to to use the concept of that as a life t- a skill rather than, uh, you know, a, a tool rather than you can only be, get better when you're using my stuff. And I, I love that approach that you have that in, that in the journals and the podcast. Now, everybody will be start making the changes. They'll be going along the route fine. You know, they'll be trusting their own guts and they'll be actually making the changes. But once if they make a mistake, how do we stop them kind of going, okay, that's it, ruined? How can we understand that we can just recalibrate and restart? How can we use it as a learning experience when we make mistakes rather than thinking, okay, that's proof that we're, we're not good enough to change or anything of that kind of nature? Yeah, well, I mean, I think ultimately it comes down to self-control. I mean, you said it yourself. I mean, it's forcing yourself to see failure or misalignment or a bad day as a lesson learned, as opposed to a reflection of who you are. You know, it's a description of a feeling. It's a description of an off moment, not who you are. And I think we need to get to the place where that is true. And if again, if we're rooted in our willingness and eagerness to start over, to start again, um, if we're rooted in aligning our worth with being proud of ourselves, if we're rooted in aligning our worth with the verbs that we do, then, you know, a bad day is a bad day because the next day is a day where we will verb and we will do those things. And we're not aligned with a negative adjective as who we are. We're aligned with the things that we could do, the power that we could take back. So I think, but that it's tough. It's very tough. Like, I wish I could be like, well, here's the answer. But the answer is having that sense of self that is aligned with doing things as opposed to receiving descriptions. If you can get to that place, then a bad day is a bad day. But tomorrow is a new day and tomorrow is a new day where you will do the things you said you would do. You will act because you want to and have to be proud of yourself. And when that's the case, then, yeah, a bad day is a bad day and it's OK. And you could practice all kinds of mindsets and, you know, reflective journaling to you know understand how can this help you? What new standard can it give you? What can you learn from it? But ultimately, it comes down to just the way that you perceive yourself. Where does your worth come from? Um, well, hopefully it comes from 
the things that you do, the things that you can control. And I think if you do that, then yeah, a bad day is a bad day. Everyone has bad days. I have bad days all the time. But, um, you know, empowering yourself in a very self-aware and honest way to sit back at the table tomorrow and uh, be willing to do it again. It's a fantastic way to look at it. I mean, I remember speaking to Jude Hoskra and he was saying about how they use the concept of reframing. They take all threats and look at way of what's the opportunity from this. You know, like they kind of just get into that habit so that you, you don't look at it as a negative. You go, okay, maybe, you know, there's a problem, there's a threat. How can I use this in my life? What's, what's benefit could I get from this or how could I use this? to come back stronger and i love that kind of idea of like you know just take a breath restart because i think of how many times i gave up because i felt like one mistake that was it you know that was proof that i wasn't good enough and i love this idea that you have that being single is a superpower you know that you can you don't need a person to be complete that you are great the way you are you can go and achieve these amazing things in our life as a single person how do we get people to understand that you know why do you think being single is a superpower yeah i mean so i i believe it firmly from all kinds of different approaches from the approach of you know it's a time to love yourself it's a time to be selfish it's a time to explore the world all these things and you know sometimes people are like yeah yeah yeah. other times it's very easy to erode what i think is the obvious value so I turn to something that I talk a lot about, and it's just the fact that I talk to a lot of older generations. Um, I love to ask people what they regret in life. It's a weird way for me to get perspective, and I do it all the time. And I've asked hundreds of people that question, and I've never heard anyone say I regret being single. Truly, when it comes to relationships, the regret I hear is quite literally the opposite of being single. I regret being in the wrong relationship. I regret jumping into a relationship. I regret being in a toxic relationship. I regret lowering my standards, all these different things. I've never heard someone say I regret being single. And so take that for what it's worth. But if you take that fact, that observation, and you combine it with a self-belief that you bring a lot to the table, that it's only a matter of time, well, then really the only thing you're battling with when it comes to being single, it's no longer a sense of eroded self-worth. All you're battling now is impatience. And we could deal with impatience, right? There's, it's a two different battles. If you're battling with self-worth, that's one battle. If you're battling with being an impatient person, that's another one. And I would much rather deal with the latter because that's just a, you know, I'm an impatient person. I could deal with that. So find a way to put yourself in that headspace, namely through maybe the power of the observation I just detailed. Um, combined with your belief in yourself and what you bring to the table. And I think hopefully when that's the case, you'll realize, okay, single, being single is a great time. For one, it's not something I'll regret. And I believe that because I believe case. And two, here's all the opportunity I have during this time to get the most out of life. And hopefully when you bring those together, it'll give you a sense of peace. And all you got to do is just, uh, you know, practice a little bit of self-control when it comes to being an impatient person. Because it certainly has been one of the most, the one of the best journeys I've been on since I've been, you know, since I'm single. The the amount of development, the amount of things I've achieved, the amount of growth, and I see myself when I look back, and I was like, I love this idea that being single is superpower. You don't need somebody to complete you. You know that you're fine the way you are. The most important relationship you have is with yourself. First, you know. How do you deal with negative emotions as they arise? So, you know, how do you find that just working on ourselves, asking why, etc., deals with these feelings of comparing ourselves, feelings of guilt, um, you know, feeling less than others? Do, do these things kind of just go when we start being radically honest with ourselves and using the power of why? I don't think they ever go, but I think you develop a, a sense of, you know, you 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 challenge the feelings before you accept them as being true. You open your door and you say, Hey, what's up? Who are you? What are you doing here? You don't just invite those feelings in as truth. Um, that is what this gives you. You know, it doesn't make you impervious to the, you know, being human by any means, but it equips you to be confident enough to say, I feel anxious. doesn't mean I'm an anxious person. I feel this doesn't mean I'm this way. You challenge the emotions before you let them into your house. In the same way, it's like a relationship. So it's like, when you go on a first date with someone, you likely, and I would encourage you, like, you don't accept everything they say at face value. They're like, oh, super cool. But like, I'm going to see a little bit more proof before I believe that. 
same with your feelings. Like we should be approaching it with the same way. It's like, ah, okay, well, I might feel that way, but uh, I'm not just going to accept that at face value. That's not who I am. And I think that is what self-awareness, mindfulness, honesty, why gives you. It equips you to have that mindset, to challenge conditioning, to challenge the way you feel, to be able to observe a feeling without accepting it as truth. I mean, I could speak to you all day about the different things. Is because there's so much value in your podcasts and your journals, things that it's really hard to kind of narrow it down into, you know, to this podcast. But I mean, you're a, a voracious reader, you know, and you're always talking about things you've read and things you've seen, etc. But how do we start accepting, you know, we can use a breakup as a seeds to start again, or we can, you know, being single can be this transformation to ourselves. What other habits? would you start getting these people to incorporate into their lives, like reading, um, journaling? What else would you get them to be doing on a day-to-day basis to start this journey to help them on their way? Yeah, I mean, I think reading, journaling, therapy, walking, stillness, meditation, like anything that works for you. I mean, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I'm not, I'm not a big meditator, I'm just not. Um, it works for some people. It doesn't really work that great for me. And I, I don't practice it enough for, you know, as much as I probably should. So it's, I think it's up to, to every person. It's like, you know, you could, you know, do a hundred pushups and that's your mindful moment or like whatever it may be. I just think we have to find a way to, you know, shock the system a little bit. That is to reset the system. That is to steer it off course for a minute and see what course you go back to once you're done. So I think it's, personal, which is the greatest thing in the world. It's not one size fits all. Just like the whole purpose of mindfulness is to discover your own truth. The way to get there is also incredibly personal and you get to decide what works well for you. And that's why there's no right or way, wrong way to do anything in life. There's no right way to be single. There's no right way to be in a relationship, to start a business. There truly isn't. And I think that is such a gift that there's no right way to do anything in life. And I, I love the, the power that that gives me. So I think it just comes down to experimentation, trial and error, being a willing, most importantly, to try new things and to challenge yourself and to sit in discomfort. And I think if you sit down and say, this is my goal, you have to be goal oriented. Um, I think you're naturally going to find that thing for yourself. You just have to be willing to try multiple things to get there. And how would you outline your goal? You know, is it because... I remember speaking to Matt Fraser, um, the CrossFit legend, and he was saying, you know, if I sat and said, I'm going to win the CrossFit Games, then every training um, session before then, before the Games, is a failure because I haven't won the Games. But if I sit there and go, I want to become a better person, you know, um, a bit, you know, work towards being a better like competitor, then every session, perfect, perfect. You know, he can work on himself. How do you review and analyze goals and know that you're on the right path? Well, I think, I think it's a mix of what you just described. It's having big goals, right? I want to be a better competitor. I want to be proud of myself. But then breaking that down into smaller goals. Like I'm very ethereal with my goals. Again, I want to be proud of myself. I want to be fulfilled in this sense and that sense. But my goal list is very, very tactical. It's like I want to do this. I want this amount of money. I want this amount of thing, this, that, and the other. Break it down into small pieces. And I think you're going to see how small pieces, that is small actions, can rise up to the larger goal. And then you audit audit it. You do it frequently. You know, I've never been one to be like, write your goals down for the year, put them in a notebook, and then come back to it. Keep them where you look at them. I'm looking at my goals right now. They're all in front of me on Post-it notes. Keep them in a place where you could frequently look at them and most importantly, change them. It's great to change your goals. It's not, you're not failing. You're changing them. You're updating them. So I think having the willingness to do that because you're more self-aware and more honest, it's a great thing. And of course, you make them personal. They're your goals. They're not goals that were given to you or that you're told to have. You decided these are your goals. And if one day you're like, that is not my goal, you cross it out and you create a new one. That's the greatest gift you can give yourself. I love it. We could talk for hours, but I mean, I know we're, we're pushed for time, but until I can get you back on and really get into different areas, what would you want people to take from this? You know, what would you want them to be as the the sample message that you want them to take home and how can they keep in touch and see the amazing work you're doing? Well, I appreciate it, man. This is, I, I love, I love chatting about this and uh, I appreciate you being so close to the podcast and, and, you know, you know, the great question to ask. I mean, I, you know, it, for me, it's the podcast, New Mindset, Who Dis. It's Instagram, Case Kenny. I've, I've got various books here and there. But I think ultimately it just comes down to the power of why. 
I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think we sometimes we overcomplicate change in life. We overcomplicate stages in life when really it just comes down to something that we do always have control over. Come back to the things you have control over. Focus on the things you know instead of the things that you don't know that make you anxious. And I think when that becomes your mentality, you're you're supercharging yourself because you're focusing on the things that you can control. And you'll soon you'll realize that you can control this and this and this. And those are the things that matter. And the things that you can't control, yeah, of course, it's life, but you don't need to get bogged down in them. So come back to that truth. And I feel like you're, fi- you're going to find yourself practicing mindfulness in a really calm way, but most importantly, an effective way. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.